0: Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today we're talking about our towns. Not your town, Leo. Not my town. Not your town. Specifically, not my town.
1: Maybe Uh, our towns.
0: But maybe Ben and Libby's towns. We'll also be talking the DGA Awards, and Ben is going to regale us. I'm so excited. With some... (laughs) The Nevers talk. Ben, what are the Nevers?
1: First what of all... What does the Nevers mean? Only Bill Desowitz, IndieWire's contributor, uh, knows the answer to that question. No one else does. It's definitely not mentioned in the show. Second of all, this was not the plan for the Nevers. I really thought that everyone would have watched this show and we'd be able to have a conversation about it. I did not think that I would be the one put on the spot to uh, to try to explain the the gifts and I have a follow-up
2: question uh, about the Nevers. the Oh, uh, why did you think we would watch that? This is the millions and millions of
0: little
1: screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show.
0: Skipping ahead to the Clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. The DGA Awards were this past weekend, and in the television categories, some of the things we think were locks continued to sort of march on but there was an upset in comedy and definitely in, in drama yeah de- definitely in drama you're right but yeah let, let's let's talk through these these categories in comedy the the flight attendant uh Susanna Fogle won for the flight attendant uh besting two other Ted Lasso episodes uh Zach Braff and MJ Delaney is that a case of vote splitting or is the flight attendant strong does it have a shot
2: I mean I, th- I think I think flight attendant is the second strongest comedy currently airing I, I mean that's not really it's definitely the second strongest uh, new series new comedy series and so it, it wasn't a surprise to me that that Fogel won um it's definitely a more um visually
0: careful. Uh, Careful around Ben and I.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, you're oh, you're delicate, sorry. so I'm trying to say that
1: it was it's more cinematic than. Ted I himself? was
2: gonna say I think it's more visually interesting than um, the direction on Ted Lasso, which isn't a which doesn't mean that Ted Lasso's direction is bad. I just I think I see why you might go with Vogel in that situation, but yeah. Also, you the rest of the category is two Ted Lassos and two curbs. So it's entirely possible everything else split. In drama,
0: we saw a win for Homeland. Yeah. Hell yeah. Remember Homeland?
1: Leslie Linkaglater, baby. Love now it. Now listen,
2: I'm not, I'm not, this pod loves Leslie Linkaglater. She's great. She's a legend. She has directed so many amazing episodes of television and also Homeland um so you
1: son of a bitch
2: no, no 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 um i have not seen this episode i Very am good. sure she directed the hell out of it she did uh this is also uh, you know uh wow remember we used to love homeland wow leslie's great um wow honestly what else are we gonna give this to uh, like it, it, it's it is weird to <laughs> me that it is weird to me that Better Call Saul cannot break through anywhere. Ben, do
1: you have any theories about that? Honestly, my my theory regarding Better Call Saul's difficulty breaking through, especially in terms of its more recent kind of downward trajectory, is that it's just a really, really sad show, and it's really, really hard to get into. It honestly took me a concerted effort and an assignment to be able to be like, okay, I have to watch this now. Like, I it's one of those where I know it's That's good, where I'm at. and I know it's it's uh, one of the like better from just a like a craft standpoint shows on television. And you can admire all of that, but holy shit, is it a sad show? The framing device, especially at the onset of that black and white kind of present tense of the story, is just so hard to look past especially when you're staring down the barrel, not knowing like how many seasons it's going to be, or now being like, I got to watch six seasons of this. This is a lot. I I, I honestly just think people either dropped off this thing uh, because it was too hard, or it was just one that faded away with kind of AMC when they've had their own struggles, maintaining a a sizable audience outside of zombie shows. Um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of my theory there. And um, I would expect the DGA to be one of those groups who did keep watching and to to give it kind of its due in a moment like this. But um, like you mentioned, you know, this is Homeland's last season. Maybe Better Call Saul fav- favor better in its own last season. Um, and then, yeah, the steepest competition, I'd say, would have been Jon Favreau for The Mandalorian since uh, the DGA's refused to give Jason Bateman his due in Ozark.
2: Well... He got his Emmy. He did. Yeah. That's Just all that really matters. That.
0: Right. And then I teased it up. I teased it up top. But uh, the Queen's Gambit uh, marches onward to the Emmys where it, it is seemingly uh, invincible. Uh, with Scott Frank winning for uh limited series uh, at the DGAs?
2: This is super petty, but I'm actually I'm actually very glad it beat Hamilton. Um, it's just a completely different deal, it, you know, it, it does- Hamilton makes no sense in that category, and I get that categories are imperfect, but it's a completely different skill set. Thomas Cahill won plenty of awards for, uh, well, for Hamilton, but on TV he won plenty awards for Fosse Verdon, so like, he he's not, you know, he doesn't need the accolades for Hamilton on TV, on streaming so i i'm just it, that was a that was a relief that would have been kind of upsetting to see the dga
0: award award that there
1: what a nice little preview of our tv movie conversation come emmy season
0: Maybe. yeah i mean you can make an argument that that doesn't even really belong in tv movies since it's mm-hmm. really a, a filming of a live uh a live performance as opposed to say something like bad education or el camino
1: you could make that argument i wonder if and anyone
2: will repeatedly uh, <laughs> <laughs> through the next four months. Thanks for teeing that up, Leon.
0: Tee it up, Ben. You gave this show a C plus. I did. We talked a lot about it in the cold open. Probably too much. We'll have to edit down. Um, I excerpted this. <laughs> I excerpted this portion of your review only because I found it very fun. Uh, you're talking, I guess, about some of the the nevers, the titular nevers. I'm not no. sure what the show's about. <laughs> no, they're
1: not, they're not called <laughs> that. Nobody is. Nobody has ever said the word nevers. But they are the like a superhero group, world.
0: right? And they're called the Nevers.
2: <laughs> so, like in no. episode five or whatever, someone's gonna like the Nevers are finally gonna show up, and like my wife's gonna lean over and be like, "Those are the
0: Nevers." <laughs> Those <laughs> are the Nevers. There's I Nevers.
1: Can, I can explain this to you in in both the the official terms and the unofficial terms. The 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 what Joss Whedon claimed originally, and what is really most likely the truth, and that is that. The Nevers refers to uh, a group in the show of uh, mostly women, but not all women, who were gifted with supernatural abilities. Actually, they were each gifted with one supernatural ability that's unique to them and uh, etc. cetera. Um, they're not really a group of, of anything. It's not like the X-Men, though there is an orphanage that serves as kind of a a safe space where they kind of gather everybody together because as is implied by the title, the nevers, (laughs) these people are considered outliers of society, uh, people who should have never existed um, and thus are looked down upon and they have to fight for their rights. And it becomes a metaphor for very obvious things. Um, But But then they take that
0: moniker on, even though it's a, it's a scarlet letter. They're like, you know what? Maybe we will be the Nevers. We're the Nevers. And then they, they wear uniforms Man, Kristen, and i say the Nevers on them.
1: So Kristen this, would
2: excoriate that show. <laughs> you should this, make her watch
0: it.
1: This is the thing that would happen if they were called the Nevers in the show, but they are not called the Nevers in the show. They are called The Touched. And you know that they're not going to name a show The Touched, so I think they had to come up with an alternative title, Uh, probably after Joss Whedon had already settled on calling them the touched in the script or in the pilot or something else unfilmable. I don't know. Um, But, uh, but yeah, they never use the word. Uh, They prefer touched and um, their powers are not powers. Their powers are a turn. They have a turn. They each have their own turn.
0: A character named Penance is a master of electricity who can use her vision to invent groundbreaking gadgets Another woman can speak a hodgepodge of non-English languages, but she can't say anything in English. I presume that's a language that all the rest of the never speak.
1: Everyone and then, else speaks English, yes.
0: Amalia can see the future, and another woman is just tall? How tall? How tall is she?
1: I honestly think she's like 15 feet tall. Because that's very tall.
0: That's a she's, giant person. She that's is upsettingly like, I, tall.
1: I almost referred to her as a giant instead of a, a tall person. But I I don't know if there's like a technical height requirement or other to features a giant. required to be referred to as a giant. I don't know. So I just called her tall because that's li- really all she is. She's just tall. Oh um, sure. You
2: went you went and looked up the population hierarchy. The like municipality hierarchy to figure out what your town was uh, actually called, which I did too, um, <laughs> and have done before. Uh, but you couldn't go and figure out what the official height designation for a giant is. Yeah, That's I, what right. I'm looking. I don't, want to, I don't
1: want to yell at It's just you. a better joke if I say tall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't, don't want to yell at you, bad,
0: But I I would, do. the distinction is, 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 she, is she taller than the tallest woman on record?
1: Who's the tallest woman on record? Probably shorter ladies. than 15 feet.
2: Ladies. 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 What? To be formally diagnosed with gigantism, a person generally must be over seven feet tall.
1: Oh, man. She's
0: a giant. She's a giant. <laughs> she's
1: a giant. She's a giant. Well, Ben, uh, you
0: gave us a C+. Plus, she's a lady giant. And I assume most of that C plus Some is because they never say the nevers on the show. But um, what else can you tell us about the show to try to get people who might be interested after all of our talk? And still watching, uh, and why why haven't I watched this? This show should be for me, right? No, uh,
1: I mean Leo. I, like I feel superhero like you have stories. again. They're not superheroes. They are okay. the touched, and they have turns. Um, but yes, I do feel like the the world building aspects, uh, as well as the uh, I don't want to call it intense action. There is a decent amount of violence in the show for a, a, a period not superhero story um
0: hey the victorian age was as violent as any other
1: ladies just punching ladies in the face a whole whole heck of a lot um but no i i honestly i honestly thought that you guys would have watched this if only out of sheer curiosity because this is a show that uh the the descriptions of the the word of mouth if you will have been kind of all over the board there's been some ardent supporters of this who think it's actually working uh, much better than i argue it is uh there's been uh, quite a bit of discussion in the build-up to it about you know how it's going to function without its creator now that joss whedon has left the project and is uh, a bad man tm uh, or at least working his way toward it um so there's it just touched. a lot of kind of issues swirling <laughs> around the nevers that as TV fans, as TV people, uh, I thought would kind of lure you in uh, as toward as to the audience uh, that actually did watch whether or not they'll keep watching. I have no idea. I think the pilot is is somewhat sound. It certainly throws a whole heck of a lot at you. Like the the brief descriptions that I've provided on this podcast are but a drop in the bucket to the wild decision-making that goes into setting up this story. I think because of the things, of how many things it throws at you, Uh, it is oddly watchable. This was a show that I talked about a lot with our Corgi Corner correspondent and Donahue, uh, who also watched all four episodes provided to critics ahead of time. And we both came to the reluctant uh, realization at the end that we would watch the last two. There's going to be six episodes of the first half of the season that are aired uh, sequentially each week for the next six weeks. And then they're going to take a break and air the second half of the season at a later date yet to be announced. And I will watch the last two because I am curious where the hell this thing is going and what the heck they want to do with it. Um, But it is very much a show based in curiosity at this point, rather than they're executing this perfectly. And one of the most frustrating things about it is, You can see little moments where, like, all of these elements that, you know, typically one show rests its hat on like, it's a superhero show, it's a Victorian era show, it's a a story about women empowerment, it's a story about. Uh, you know, uh, classism and 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 the evils of of society and how they persist throughout the rest of of time. Um, there's moments where all of that comes together really, really well, and you're just like, oh wow, they that scene, they hit it. Okay, they're figuring it out. We're going to gain some momentum. They've worked out the kinks. Like we're going to move forward. And then there is a scene seconds later that is just so inexplicable and terrible. And and literally just confounding. Like you do not understand the purpose of the scene. That it's hard to believe that the same people made both. Um and right now, I think that's where we're at with the Nevers. Uh I implore you both to watch so that we can have more detailed wow. discussions about these. I will give it a shot. And and touched is touched touched
0: Ben Libby, you both watched this documentary, Our Towns, which is based on the book our town's 100,000-mile journey into the heart of America. I mentioned before we started recording that uh, this is aimed at everyone but me, seeing as how I spent the majority of my life in three of the six most populous metropolitan areas in the country, Miami, Chicago, and Los Angeles. But what are you two taking away from this documentary that seeks to tell the story of the smaller metropolitan areas in this country of ours, at this point in time.
1: Uh, Well, I would would preface this uh, simply by saying that as soon as I heard that this documentary was coming out, I immediately messaged Libby and said, we should probably talk about this, because we spend an inordinate amount of time uh, talking to each other and talking to other people about the small towns in which we came from. Um, And Libby and I also, I don't know if it ever made the cut on the podcast, but we've maybe... Gotten into a few spats about the size of our uh, various hometowns and who came from a smaller I have hometown and legitimately what legitimately
2: never worked with someone who's come from a smaller town than I have, and that's so upsetting to me. It's like my thing. <laughs> now Ben and, has taken my thing,
1: and thus that is why we give a shit about this documentary in the first place. Because uh, anytime. I feel anyway that any anytime somebody wants to make a statement about small towns in America, um, one, they need to kind of prove that they've done the work to justify that statement by either, you know, being born there, spending a lot of time there, doing the, you know, the on the ground research to live there. Um, and then, you know, have something to say about it that's that's worth discussing. And I feel like the the very general mission statement of this documentary isn't as deep as I'd wanted it to be when I'd first read that it was coming. Uh, It's certainly not as deep as from what I've come to expect uh, of an HBO documentary. Um, It's very much just about these two uh, Atlantic journalists who, uh, back in like 2013, uh, put out like a blog post saying, you know, hey, we're thinking about you know, traveling to various small towns in America. We want you to uh, tell us about your town and why we should come to that one. And they received thousands of requests to come visit different towns from different people. And then they got in their little plane, they flew, a lot, flew around, they went and talked to the people on the ground and they tried to kind of glean information about what made each place distinct as well as get a better picture of what small town life in America really is. And I feel like... <laughs> The tax mission statement is very much about just kind of acknowledging that these places exist and acknowledging that they're out there and that America isn't just a like a country made up of big cities. Uh, It's a country made up of, of, you know, a lot of different places and a lot of different ways of life and a lot of different ways to make a living in those different places. Um, And. That's something that I like, like, that's something that I'm I can work with. That's something where it's like, I I do wish we spent more time discussing towns uh, from a perspective, or from a, at a time when there wasn't some sort of crisis there, like, it would be better if we didn't know, like, the only thing we should know about Flint, Michigan, isn't the water crisis. Like, it's important that we talked about that. But it, there's more to Flint than just that, and there's more to each of these small towns than you know, a random uh, school shooting, which has plagued far too many towns in general, um, or another tragedy that befell them. Um, so that part of it worked, but the rest of the doc doesn't go beyond that. And <laughs> Libby, I know you were particularly frustrated by the end of it. I feel like I watched and got to the end of it and was kind of just like, Okay, I don't know if that just wasn't what I expected, or if there was something wrong with it. And in our discussion since, I think it's leaned more toward there is something wrong with this. Yes, there's something big and missing from this documentary that uh, would have otherwise justified its existence.
2: Well, let me. Uh, this was always going to be a flawed premise. Um, it's 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 uh wrong to suggest that this documentary is about small towns. Um, they kind of want us to look at it that way. That's not the case whatsoever. And you know that because when the documentary begins, sorry, minor spoilers, uh, the first area slash town, um, they go to is one of the filmmakers hometown of Redlands, California, which is smack dab in the middle of San Bernardino and Riverside, um, And respectively, San Bernardino County and Riverside County. Uh, The thing about that area is it's the 13th largest metropolitan area in the United States. Um, I can accept that there are people, especially like back home where I'm from, who don't know what San Bernardino is. Um, But that's the thing. They don't know what San Bernardino is. They don't have any opinions about San Bernardino. Um, Which brings me to another point. Like, we have predetermined opinions about everything and everywhere that's just what we do like new yorkers are mean and loud and you know they they are grumpy and californians are up our own ass and uh really into hiking and just very stupid things we have these preconceived notions of everywhere so the idea of going into this and like trying to uncover these I don't even know what you'd call them hidden gems or or underreported areas just it's it's it feels like not the tightest premise in the world um this is only the first of my issues with this documentary um but it, 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 because it, it feels like a flawed thing from the very beginning the other side of that is they couldn't do something just on small towns because small towns are primarily white and that's very boring. But the real, and and Ben and I might disagree a little bit with this one, but the real place where this documentary lost me was about two thirds of the way in. The filmmakers are like, we tried to avoid national politics. Now I get it. Um, they started filming in 2018. Uh, it was in the heart of, of, such contentious times um i mean we're still living through contentious times now i can see why you would want to try and avoid that when you were telling a general story a, or a, a, a specific general story about these places around the country but that's not the whole story well actually let me put a pin in that ben how did you did you feel like that skewed the story some um
1: i feel like it in in hindsight Again, like as it was happening, it was something that I could almost innately understand because it felt like if they had delved specifically into that, it would have taken over the whole thing. It would have just become like, are you a Trump person? Are you not? Why are you a Trump person? Let's talk about it. And they didn't want to make that documentary. And at the same time, I think skewing and their language in the documentary, from what I remember, was more about when they wanted to try to have a real conversation and dig deep about a town with person living there, it was that mentioning national politics was a way to shut that conversation down. And I was like, okay, as an interviewer, I can understand that. Like, you have to try to find ways in to discussing things. But what it ended up doing was kind of skewing politics as a whole. And throughout the documentary, especially when they were introducing towns, um, they would mention specific things that would be political issues, that would be something that you know, People would have different opinions on on whether it was worth it or not, or whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, or just what it had to be done. And their perspective was always one guided by, if it was good for business, then it helped this town survive, and we're just focusing on that. We're not going to look beyond those reasons. We're just going to look at, if it was a good business decision, then it was good for the community, and this is how they rallied around it and that to me opened up a lot of problems. That opened up a lot of issues because a lot of reasons people love small towns are rooted in ideologies that are the same reasons people leave small towns. And uh I think digging into that really thorny dynamic is important to getting to the heart of of how we could successfully rebuild economies in small towns and communities within small towns and make the idea of a small town on a national level feel more important and substantial and worth talking about, as opposed to kind of the dismissive nature that most people take to it at this point. Um, So yeah, I, I, it became a problem for me mainly because it just felt like there was so much more they could have ended up talking about that they avoided because of the wrong reasons
2: it felt a lot like they left all the most interesting stories on the table uh, because they might be controversial. Um, And that's not great. Uh, One of the cities they go to is Bend, Oregon. And they talk a lot about how uh, the town has really come back. Um, It's become sort of a haven for uh, people who can telecommute and um, are really outdoorsy. But to that end, they're very upper, uh, you know, kind of top 5%, you know, they're white people. They, 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 uh, can afford to like take a day off work to go skiing, um, at the drop of a hat. Like there, there's a certain kind of lifestyle. And, uh, later on in the bend segment, they talk to this guy who has spent his entire life as a cattle rancher who is slowly watching the the land get bought up by um, by business who want to build complexes or apartment houses or or you know tract housing or or whatever you're gonna have, and they they get into that a little bit, but they don't get into any of the ramifications of that. They don't get into the any of the ramifications of like gentrification or the fact that you know when you're when you're talking about who is trying to revitalize these small towns most of the time it's it becomes a pet project for you know a really rich white person who has a lot of time on their hands they're like okay let's build an art center in this community of 1300 people I'm sure it'll be able to support it on its own but really that's not realistic um it, it and them with uh with regards to that with regards to you know Ben ben talked about it you know, kind of glossing over the uglier parts of this. It's not a full story. You aren't, you're, basically, it's a, it's a 90, it's a, it's a 105 minute infomercial about some nice places in the U.S. You've, I mean, they're probably nice, but they're probably of terrible things too. Uh, It's just, I, I, there's something about, there is no such thing as national politics. Local politics are increasingly national politics. Uh, When they talked to someone from Sioux Falls, they were talking about how people in the state, you need to leave to know if you want to come back. And they're like, oh, most of the people that leave come back. And that's because the state doesn't raise you to exist outside of South Dakota. Um, And also, once you leave South Dakota, uh, oftentimes you look back and you find the state has set up barriers for you to come back. For me, uh, South Dakota is leading the call with, um, legislating the rights and livelihoods of, um, transgen- transgender indiv- individuals. And that's not a national issue. That's a state issue. That's a state issue. That's a Christy Nome issue who wants to take her politics national. And if that's the state politics, then that's the local politics. And if that's the local politics, then I want to talk to someone about why they think it's such a threat for transgender children to use the bathroom. uh, It it was just surface level. And those journalists didn't feel really interested in getting into the messy parts. Um, They talked early, early on about how you know, people, when you interview them the first time, they'll tell you what you want to hear. And then when you mm. grow a rapport with them, then they'll tell you what they really think. I feel like they excluded everything that people really thought because the, th- the secrets people are te- aren't are telling you right away about their hometown are not the good things. They're not secreting away these amazing things about where they live. Uh they're secreting the horrible things, the the grocery cashier that walks away every time you try and ask him a question or, or, you know, the fact that you've gotten pulled over for going too over the speed limit. You know, it, it's just uh, because you're a person of color. It, it's it doesn't mesh. They are saying one thing and they are showing something else. And they're trying to tell me that what I'm seeing is what they're saying. And it doesn't add up. And and, well, and it actually upsets me. Like, um, my glasses are heating up. That's, are fogging <laughs> up. That's how upset I am. Uh,
1: well, I'd, I'd just say that the 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 kind of missed opportunity of it all and the the the, the showier side of it as opposed to the, the truthful side of it are, are seemingly inherent in both the subjects that they focus on uh, in terms of, like, they talk to the mayor of one of the small towns. They talk to a lot of, you know, leaders of specific businesses that are doing well. Um, they, I remember you know, and, and I think when they started with the South Dakota Sioux Falls area, they were talking about um, uh, a hog slaughtering plant, as I think you mentioned in our conversation, Libby. And they mentioned that there's a bunch of, like, it's largely staffed by immigrant workers who don't speak English. And they imiv- immediately pivot to a white woman who is like leading an organization that like helps immigrant workers get jobs and, and you know, kind of, you know, become successful members of the community and they talk to one very successful immigrant worker sitting at his desk and that's just not enough like you know there's another side to that coin and the way that the, this is set up as a as a feature documentary as opposed to a docuseries um it just feels like a, a, a flawed idea because you've already got you they chose six places to visit you've got six towns even spending an hour on each of those towns isn't going to be enough time to really cover everything that's going on there and that has you know uh either created the successful aspects or the unsuccessful aspects of however you want to define those elements um so like you kind of like it's that's the hard thing for me to rationalize when I'm when I'm when when I got to the end of the doc it was just like I guess I knew they weren't going to be able to do all the things I wanted them to do and yet is it unreasonable for me to be asking that they do more than they did and I don't think it's unreasonable I just think that it's not the thing I wanted it to be at the same time and that's That's why that's frustrating
0: that's why I was shocked when I found out it was a a documentary, not a documentary series. I mean, Oh yeah. Me too. I, mean, Ga- I mean, Guy Fieri doesn't, film doesn't, doesn't do all the diners, drive-ins and dives in the country at once. He does them <laughs> uh, city to city. Uh, that, that's why it's like, I assume you assume with a name, like our towns where you're traveling town town, that it is going to be, uh, a series where you're delving deep into various towns and what they're doing. And not that you have to spend each episode in a town. You could have things like cross pollinate like we we found this issue in Bend, Oregon, that mirrors a thing we found in South Dakota. But like keep coming back to these all these even if you just pick six, but keep coming back to these various things like this is how this uh, this issue affects this town and this town simultaneously. And this is how this town is combating the X thing. Um, Right.
2: And they the most they do that is like a transition from one city to the next. It's just like. Six chunks. Like there's no cross cutting. We know we don't refer back to what we've learned earlier. They could have aired them in any order. Um, it's essentially just a
0: trap. It's just a travel log of these people yeah, going from place to place.
2: It's a documentary version of like the Hotel Channel, where they're just you know, it's like nice backgrounds, and if it was muted, you would really wouldn't lose that much of it. Um,
0: it does
1: look I, great.
2: And, it's and very I think, beautiful. Yeah, it's very beautiful. I think the most unforgivable thing is that uh, it's very dull. And I say that as someone who, li- who has lived uh, for years in two of the six featured areas uh, in this documentary. And I was very bored.
1: As I mentioned in the discussion, I'm always trying to keep myself from reviewing shows in a way of like, this isn't the thing that I wanted it to be. So that makes it bad. I have to review the thing that's put in front of me. Uh, But there's still like, there are still problems and questions and flaws that are evident in this, even though so much of my excitement was tied up in, in an imaginary world of what I wanted it to be.
2: Right. I get it. I totally get it.
0: Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation. IndieWire, our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about our TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Anne Donahue. Leo's favorite lived-in metropolitan areas include Miami, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, Chicago, Naperville, Elgin, and Los Angeles, Long Beach, Anaheim. IndieWire's Millions of Screens suggests Leo move to New York City, Newark, Jersey City.
2: Jersey City.
0: Naperville? My god no that's the way that's the way it's listed
2: i can't believe gainesville wasn't even on there
0: yeah gainesville (laughs) did not make i don't know i don't know how far down you have to go on the metropolitan area to get to uh central florida
2: (laughs) gainesville is smaller than many of the small towns featured in the
0: documentary Yep. so gainesville is 154th on the list of uh metropolitan areas in uh the united states Population 329,000. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so leave review and let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on the air. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>